But if one shop doesn't have something, he won't just turn you away. They will actually help you find it in their neighbor's shop. And that's the kind of behavior that you might actually begin to see globally where businesses are helping each other out. They don't look at it as a zero sum game. So it's not that, you know, it's either you win or I win. Uh, but it might be that we can all win together in this if we work together to grow the entire market. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Human Entrepreneur. Today we have with us Mansi. Hi Mansi, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey Varun, hey Luke, it's great to be here and um, I'm looking forward to talking with you guys. Uh, so Mansi, uh, just a quick introduction to who you are. We always do this with our guests, so it's like an elevator pitch, who you are, what you do and what's your story. Okay, so I'm terrible at this, but I'm going to give it a <laughs> shot anyway. Uh, but basically, um, I'm going to describe myself the way my friends describe me. is uh, they told I've been told that I'm a reverse superhero. Um, and their reasoning for this is that uh, generally superheroes work by night uh, to save the world. And apparently, because I use design uh, in the daytime in my work, um, they th- and the way I look at design is more from the inclusive lens, uh, looking at it from a more uh, holistic perspective. Uh, uh, that's how they've described me as a reverse superhero. Uh, but one of the uh, things that kind of has brought me here, uh, where I am in my journey on design, is uh, effectively I've worked across uh, various sectors. So I've worked in nonprofit and for-profit. I have about eight years of work experience uh, totally. And uh, my interests have always been sort of uh, everything. Uh, I'm extremely curious and I tend to kind of draw connections from things that don't necessarily exist in that sector or you know so I began this journey into design or business design foresight uh, I'd say probably right out of undergrad uh, where my first exposure to design was mostly graphic design which is I something I picked up uh, as a board engineering student um, and I started this uh, small e-commerce startup called the laptop skin vault where I designed a business model which allowed me to have zero inventory uh, and create completely customized uh, laptop skins. At that time, I think uh, mine was the only uh, custom MacBook skin brand in India. Uh, So there was that. Uh, Something that was completely bootstrapped and it was more like an experiment for me uh, because at that time, uh, e-commerce was just kind of picking up in India and I just wanted to know how it works. Uh, So I just created this bootstrap business model, which was literally held together by uh, sticky tape and string. Uh, But uh, it worked. I mean, I I actually ended up running it all the way from 2011 to about 2016, I want to say. And I've kind of just kind of tapered it off in the last couple of years. Largely for me, design came from an interest in understanding how instead of creating things uh, and then figuring it figuring out how we can sell those things to people uh, i think that the better approach is to actually find need gaps uh, things people actually want uh, things that are lacking in their lives and then actually using that intelligence to build things that will sell themselves so that 
you don't need to uh, you know really push anything or create these insane uh, marketing campaigns i mean you could still do that but uh, the idea is that you would end up actually having far greater impact on your audience uh, if you were to actually uh, create things that they wanted uh, but for me that uh, so that's what led me to understand to discovering human centered design or design thinking if you will uh, but i always found that there was something lacking there uh, in the sense of while looking at your customer first was a great approach and it was definitely more sustainable and longer lasting than the current approaches that we use uh, it still felt too short term for me so we were still only looking at existing need gaps we weren't looking at things that could come up or would come up next uh, based on the way people were behaving or way uh, the world was moving and so uh, that's something that i discovered somewhere around 2017 uh, i had just graduated from business school in the us and uh, while i was job hunting i'd moved to the west coast and that's where i ended up joining this uh, meetup community called speculative futures uh, and that really sort of you know for me was the missing piece uh, because that community was centered about around something called speculative design uh, which is effectively looking at horizons or time horizons which are 5 or 10 years out uh, even and it's effectively looking at uh, it the way you know science fiction authors do or uh, it is looking at the world in a way that uh, you not necessarily predicting things uh, but you're actually prototyping certain futures just to figure out what people's reactions to those are and the idea there is to actually take that insight of how people react to these speculative futures and actually understand therefore what a house might manifest and since then i've been actually uh, studying it further and further uh, once i moved back to india i started uh, future tens inc which is basically it started off as a meetup community uh, introducing people to various uh, dis not really disciplines but more various perspectives on design which go beyond simply the aesthetic to saying how we can use design as actually a strategic tool uh, very similar to what we have now discovered design thinking can do but actually take both these uh, disciplines and actually create far longer horizons in a way that we can look at the world far more sustainably and at in a much longer time horizon than we are looking at it right now awesome thank you so much for that introduction mansi and i think i really agree with you and i think varun would echo me in saying that design thinking and human-centered design is really uh where things are going and how we need to uh progress in terms of innovating in the future and in season one we touched on it with uh dr Bo. Um, so obviously in the situation we're in uh, now with COVID-19 um, kind of taking over our lives and causing uh, seismic shifts uh, in society, um, how are you going about prototyping in uh, a future and trying to spot trends that are going to come out uh, as a result of this? So one of the things that, uh, you know, most good uh foresight practitioners avoid is prediction uh 
And that's something that actually a lot of businesses tend to get caught up in. Uh, so what effectively happens is when you're predicting something, you're trying to get to one final answer. Uh, whereas here, the idea right now for most people should be is to look at all the breadth of possibility because that allows you to plan better. Uh, that makes you a little bit more flexible in how you approach this. So, for example, uh, if you look at the current uh, health crisis uh, that is almost engulfed the entire globe, um, there are some things that obviously, you know, sort of picking up. So in India, of course, e-commerce is picking up because you literally can't step out of your house to get most things. Uh, but at the same time, that that's a trend that has already existed. So e-commerce has been picking up in India rapidly in the past couple of years, especially since, uh, you know, people have gotten more and more comfortable with digital. That's a trend that's already been, uh, you know, growing. What this crisis is going to do is it's actually going to simply accelerate certain behaviors and trends. Um, so, for example, uh, you know, a lot more people were already having parties or um gatherings at home versus kind of going out to a nightclub before this crisis hit. Now, this has actually forced us indoors even more. Uh, and I suspect that that trend will accelerate where you will probably prefer to have maybe five friends over once, you know, it's, things ease off a little bit in terms of the government mandated lockdowns. Uh, you might just end up having five people over rather than going to a restaurant. Uh, movie theaters are probably going to be shut for a bit longer than anything else. There probably won't be large social gatherings for a very long time uh, unless countries, you know, suddenly figure out exactly how quickly they can test people. So the way uh, I would look at this COVID-19 crisis is to look at what behaviors were on the fringes before uh, this crisis hit and then see which ones are possibly going to accelerate. But all of this will actually center in looking at how people will behave. So uh, rather than making predictions based on what is happening in the last two months when the crisis has actually become this huge sort of global uh, health crisis, uh, I would actually look at it as uh, probably maybe after things begin to open up a little bit. Uh, so China may be one indicator because Chinese society is opening up, but Chinese society is also very, very different than most other global societies. And so your businesses are going to have to create, ha have to look at all of these scenarios uh, and then begin to assess which trends are actually real and which trends are only being forced to look real in this very short sort of condensed span of time. Yeah, I think that's a really lovely perspective, uh, Mansi. Uh, looking at it from a perspective of uh, what are the trends that are actually now going to accelerate is a very interesting way of uh, looking at it. And I think it's probably in, in some cases for some businesses, it's, it's, it's a huge opportunity and for others, maybe not. Um, and I think I want, my next question is probably what do you think were those trends that are now going to be accelerated that were pretty slow before the, the crisis hit the world? What are the few things that we'd probably be seeing and in what particular industries? 
I don't know that there is there are specific uh, trends that I would lay heavy bets on right now because like I said one of the things that people need to caution against is we shouldn't be making decisions based on the last two months because the last two months we've basically been forced indoors but what we can do is uh, we can look at it as okay what if this crisis suddenly goes away in four months or six months say you know maybe we find an excellent drug that helps control uh, how badly this hits somebody or uh, or how many people uh, or drastically reduces the mortality rate uh, in that case you know a lot of the current behaviors might just come back but one of the key things is looking at say if, if this pandemic lasts over 6 months and which is very likely to happen given that we are very far away from a vaccine being uh, this you know uh, actually proven to work uh, but also if you look at uh, in terms of uh, what it is that uh, we have right now in terms of terms of treatments that are actually working people as the different countries different governments different communities are still figuring out how to uh, social distance correctly how to treat the disease how how many people are asymptomatic versus symptomatic etc so if this crisis does last over 6 months uh, i would actually imagine that it might accelerate a lot of the uh, kinds of behaviors that we were seeing slowly kind of growing before the crisis so you might have actually uh, you know in terms of businesses you might actually look have businesses beginning to look at this as an opportunity to pivot so they might look at this as an opportunity to look at what else is out there that they could be doing so for example uh, say about i don't know 3 months ago at the beginning of this year if i had told you that uh, some of the largest distillers in the world will be making hand sanitizers or that uh, maruti and uh, general motors would be making ventilators you would probably laughed me out of the room right uh, but suddenly they seem to have discovered capability to do that so if they're able to do that within their current system uh, imagine how many other people might figure out ways in which uh, they could possibly be challenging their current business models because a lot of businesses when they look at uh, their core competency or their current business models they look at things that are have always been done or have always worked for them this might be an opportunity for people to begin to invest in new innovation uh invest in uh, actually looking at uh, futures and making it a part of everyday decision making so there are there are lots of um, businesses that already do this across the world uh, google does this microsoft does this uh, you look at uh, google x uh that's their entire business that entire vertical is dedicated to looking at what's next uh or you look at microsoft research that's it's the same thing they're tasked with looking at what's next what could microsoft possibly be doing and i think that a lot of both small businesses as well as larger businesses will actually really benefit if they incorporate that kind of behavior into their system uh another thing that you might look at is this might actually bring a lot of people to kind of gather in terms of businesses not looking at competition in traditional way because everybody is hurting right now right like most businesses uh some businesses might not get out of this alive 
most businesses are losing a lot of money. Um, they're taking tough calls on whether or not to let uh, people go. Uh, they're taking calls on you know what projects to cut, etc. But you might actually see an emerging era of almost collaborative commerce, and that's not something that's new. Uh, in India, you see this a lot, right? Uh, you go to the local markets and you'll have like 20 shops selling effectively the same thing. But if one shop doesn't have something, he won't just turn you away. They will actually help you find it in their neighbor's shop. And that's the kind of behavior that you might actually begin to see globally where businesses are helping each other out. They don't look at it as a zero-sum game. So it's not that you know it's either you win or I win. Uh, but it might be that we can all win together in this if we work together to grow the entire market. Uh, and this is something, you know, it goes to, you know, something someone said to me a little while ago. And he said that, you know, we believe in working collaboratively with someone because uh, we believe that, you know, the rising tide raises all boats. And which is very true, because if you grow in the market entirely, then everybody benefits. So instead of looking at everything individually, uh, whether it's from a com organization's perspective or even individual perspective, hopefully we might actually, I think that that might uh, well be uh, one of the behaviors that changes. We'll just have to wait and watch. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with you, Mansi. The whole idea of uh, seeing a rise in business models, which, which look at uh, cooperation rather than competition and whether it's joint ventures or creating things collectively, I think collaboration. Luke and I, myself, were having a long discussion the other day uh, about, you know, what's the what's the key trend that's going to, you know, surface. And I think because so many people are hurting, uh, and it's all collectively, collectively we're all hurting, and we're trying to fight one common uh, enemy, which is the virus. I think there's a lot of co uh, collaboration that we're going to see, and I think community then becomes a huge trend. Uh, within any possible new emergence of um, companies, business models, but also in a way services. And, and would you would you agree with that? Would you agree with the, the idea of this, the, the emergence of community uh, and probably seeing, you know, startups or, you know, different companies looking at that in particular going forward? I think, I mean, uh, I think there was a small nascent trend of that uh, anyway. And I think that that would be actually in the best interest of a lot of people if it does start growing. Uh, so, you know, you already had these sort of hyper collectives, which were basically, you know, these small uh, teams of four or five people, but within a network of hundreds. So they could literally pull in people based on a kind of project that they were doing. So instead of actually hiring everybody, uh, you just worked with anybody who you thought was perfect for that project. And I think that that's something that a lot of people have talked about in the past. And I think that we will begin to see more people doing it uh, because uh, people will have to look outside of their own businesses to see the larger picture in which they fit. So, you know, uh, forever, I think incubators have tried to do this for startups. Uh, they've succeeded to some extent, but they've created these very closed communities. And I think that this is something that I have been a huge beneficiary of. So for example, uh, Future Tense uh, started as just a series of meetups, but it's grown into a community. We've had over 500 people come through our meetups uh, or at least you know, have kind of had conversations with or something like that. And a lot of people that I know who are in the field of foresight, who 
have shared their wisdom with me are actually people I haven't met in person. These are people that I have connected through uh, people I know, uh, through social media, uh, through the Facebook group that I've created for Future Tense, um, you know, through other kind of groups that I belong to, which like the Unleashed group, uh, which is, uh, you know, this huge group of people who are invested and interested in social impact. Uh, and honestly, for me, that's something that we're all going to need. Uh, whether you're a big business or a small business, everybody needs good advice. You need somebody to serve as a sounding board. And you also need people who will uh, be very honest with you. Uh, so it's no longer about, uh, you know, telling, you know, somebody telling me only the good things that I'm doing. I need somebody to point me, point at me and say that, hey, you know what, this thing that you're doing, it's not right. It's not going to work because such, such and such is that leads to growth. Uh, but, uh, you know, these are people that you can actually trust. And I think that that network, uh, there is so much more access to such a network now. Uh, there are so many more people who are willing to give you that advice. that I think it would be really foolish for a lot of people if they didn't tap into that network. And so what do you think are the key elements for really building a meaningful community um, like you say, with Future Tense, you build community there and with this more cooperation and collaboration between people, uh, we're going to have more communities filmed. But for someone who uh, maybe wants to help facilitate building that community, what do you think is really important for them to bear in mind? So one of the key things I've seen is, and this is something that I'm sharing from even from the Future Tense community, uh, you know, not a lot of people post in the community itself, uh, but uh, at the same time, it is for us to keep posting in there ourselves. Find things that, you know, things that we're reading and finding interesting, asking people for their opinions, uh, connecting with people through conversations. So one of the key things is, you know, you A, you've got to keep at it. It's not something that just suddenly happens overnight. It feels that way if you get successful, uh, but it takes a long time to build to that point where, you know, it's almost the tipping point into creating successful engagement. Uh, but the other thing is also don't ever enter a conversation with an agenda. So the agenda should not be about promoting your community. The agenda really should be simply that you a, either are going to bring a very interesting point of view. Uh, you don't even have to know everything about everything. You might just simply be asking what you might think is a very stupid question, uh, but ask those questions because there are a lot of people who are more than happy to answer them. Uh, no, no question that I have asked, have I ever been told that but that's a stupid question, you're wasting my time. So the people who actually care and who will contribute to your community, your own personal learning, as well as the entire community's learning are people who will actually engage with you uh, in a manner that is it's not agenda driven neither for them nor for you and I think that that's very very key is that your only agenda should be to have an open mind and have people either teach you something or challenge a perspective that you already hold yeah I, I completely agree with that and I just want to add to something you know 
Luke, you were speaking about this whole idea of uh, community and uh, building one. And I think one of the very important things that Mansi raised was looking at community in terms of like, you know, growing that, but then also asking questions, posting regularly, that drives a lot of engagement. But also I think posting relevant stuff because a lot of communities on Facebook, especially, like the, the posts that they post may not always be very relevant. So, you know, there's a trade-off between how much you post and uh, whether the, the quality itself of that post is, you know, good or not. And then I think there's another principle, uh, I mean, that, that, that someone told me about, which is called, how do you grow and sustain a community? It's called the GEM principle, where you grow the network, you engage with them, and then you learn how to monetize that network. Uh, and, you know, Ansi, uh, one of the things that I wanted to like move this conversation forward into is talking about looking at sustainability and how are we seeing um, anything to do with sustainability in terms of business models or in terms of like just companies themselves, are we seeing any trends towards a, a more sustainable future considering that, you know, this, this COVID-19 is really challenging a lot of assumptions we've made about the world, the business itself, and the trends that we've been constantly speaking about that have been changing? Um, so yes, it is uh, accelerating sustainability. Not sustainability is a challenging thing. So um, till about two years ago, I used to work uh, with an organization that did uh, human-centered conservation in the eastern Himalayas. Now, what that means is effectively, rather than simply looking at conservation as an act of uh, trying to conserve the green cover or the species within that green cover, uh, the organization was actually trying to build regenerative economies. Uh, so effectively, right now, what the kinds of economies that we build are extractive. So they're taking, but they're not adding back into the ecosystem. Uh, and the models that we used there were uh, models that we actually built in a manner that would help people build livelihoods um, that actually add back to the ecosystem. So people are not only earning money, but they're earning money to actually put things back into the ecosystem. And, uh, you know, so there is definitely you know new thought that is also coming up in sustainability uh, there are so many people that i've spoken to and met who are using more and more of these kind of approaches where people and communities that live within ecosystems are being involved in conservation efforts the other thing is also you know like i said i belong to this community uh, called unleash uh, it's an innovation lab uh, that happens over a period of about 7 to 10 days every year where they bring in thousand plus people uh, from around the world to work on solutions for the sustainable development goals. Uh, now, one of the things that they struggle with is actually finding ways in which the ideas that actually get discussed in those seven to 10 days and developed are actually put into action. While they haven't figured out the silver bullet for that, the very fact that they're able to get so many people, uh, in fact, they get they have an acceptance rate of only about 10% or something like that. So they, they're definitely getting a lot more people who are interested. Now, that tells you about just how many people are interested in this kind of thing. So that is an indicator of the fact that the people who, and the, they accept people only up to about the age of 30 or 35. It's not a hard stop, but largely most of their kind of uh, group of people that come into that program are between the age of 23 to 30, 35 or so. 
the fact that there is such a big interest in a program like that uh, itself tells you that people are beginning to take this thing more seriously uh, you see the recent success of somebody like Greta Thunberg uh, the fact that she has been able to create such a movement uh, that tells you that people are beginning to think about this thing unfortunately it's the people who aren't yet in the place to do anything about it a lot of people are getting there uh, don't get me wrong uh, but there are also a lot more people who who need to get there to actually be in a position to make that change a lot yeah um and to like our audience listening hopefully there's some uh change makers there who are going to be um making change in these areas in these cities what would you say um are some things that you would want to see to make uh focusing on cities and communities to make them more sustainable and inclusive um so one of the things uh, uh this is something that actually came out so i was part of the Andy, uh innovation labs in 2018 and uh, my team was working on uh, uh, you know the SDG 11 which is sustainable cities and communities so our goal in those seven to ten days was to actually come up with the potential solution for how uh, how we can build more sustainable cities and communities and one of the insights the key insight that our solution was based on is actually most people don't feel like they have a say in the way their cities shape up. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, both of you have also felt this doesn't matter which city you've lived in. Uh, if you're living in that city, you should have some say in how that city grows or how it's being designed or created further. And that's one of the key things that has been missing. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, the current sort of crisis will actually accelerate that kind of behavior as well, as we see more and more grassroots entrepreneurs, people who don't necessarily belong to medical fraternities or anything of that sort are coming up with innovations that are helping solve a lot of the key issues that surround the current crisis. And I'm hoping that, you know, that inspires more and more people to begin to actually think about how much of a say they should have in the way that their cities are growing around them. Uh, there's one, uh, you know, a friend of mine called Ayaz Bhastra, he runs the Bus Ride Labs. Uh, they're an architectural studio, but they also do a lot of speculative design. And they've recently come up with a series called Bombay Post Apocalypse. And it's actually very interesting. So they have one which is dystopian. Uh, there are a couple which are dystopian and then there's one which is actually fairly utopian where they actually talk about how uh, the fact that more and more people are going to be forced indoors, people will begin to, uh, uh, people will begin to actually understand uh, the importance of having open public spaces or open green spaces. And they're hopeful that, you know, that will actually, uh, allow people to actually voice their opinion and demand it of their governments. So I think that that's the kind of engagement that is required to build better cities where citizens have more of a voice and a voice in not simply, you know, demanding it from their government, but also working with governments to co-create these things. 
because it only works if it works for the citizens yeah uh, i completely agree with you there as well i think one of the things that i felt was really really cool with the covid 19 coming up is that government grants government funds for startups itself was really increasing especially in the uk we we saw a lot of insurgence of you know the government giving out a lot of funds to you know sustain businesses or help businesses start up so definitely and i think it goes back to that community wherein uh, you know i think collaboration creates more of a positive externality than competition within within any entrepreneurial sphere or any company uh, as we're going towards a greater good of per se humanity and and the way we're progressing uh, and so manji we just want to like uh, put this to uh, put this conversation of course to to a closure by asking you a very important question uh, what's next for a student entrepreneur that wants to you know start his own business and you know create sustainable impact where does he look right now um so you know most people will tell you that such a terrible time for entrepreneurship but i actually kind of disagree especially if you have some degree of uh, ability to bootstrap so where a student entrepreneur should be looking is uh, whether they actually have uh, just enough money so don't don't aim to build the million dollar prototype build the 10 dollar prototype test it out because it's a great time to iterate at very low cost and honestly like a lot of people think that entrepreneurship can only be done uh, without having a full time job that's not true either so if you need to do a full time job do it that's another route you can take work on your idea at night on the weekends uh, put in that kind of effort because it will motivate you more but at the same time you know do what works best for you i know people who are uh, starting up right now and honestly like the thing that i'm hearing from them is that this is a great time for them to be starting up because it gives them so much time to do research into who their end consumer is going to be into who their potential partners are going to be people are stuck at home they don't have any excuse to tell you uh, that they don't have time to speak to you uh, most people will get on a call uh, nobody has travel schedules to keep to nobody has insane amounts of meetings every day uh, they're willing to get on a call with you for 15 minutes for 30 minutes so this is the time if you're studying if you're thinking of starting up this is the time when you actually go to your end consumer to your potential partner your advisors and actually talk to them have an in-depth conversation that is more than simply talking about your idea uh, and looking at it as a way for you to learn something from them uh, learn something that might to you it may seem that it's irrelevant to your current situation uh, but the idea is to actively listen to actively read things and uh, listen to podcasts etc because most times what we do is when we listen to podcasts is it's something like background noise right like we pick up a few things here and there but if you're actually actively listening to things actively reading the news etc that you'd be surprised at how many things you might pick up which are relevant to you but you might not have otherwise had the time to look at all of these things or assess them for importance uh, because you have a very narrow view of the world so right now the idea you know the same thing that we sort of discussed in the beginning of this podcast is effectively you know 
look at the broad world view don't look at predicting what's going to happen but look at predicting the possibilities that are that might manifest and plan in such a way that you are able to adapt no matter which of those possibilities actually comes true so i would say that if you're an entrepreneur don't be married to one single thing but actually look at it as uh, something that you might want to uh, reassess in terms of what's happening in the world you have that time to do that right now and i think it's the best use of people's time if they're actually assessing what it is that they're going to offer versus what the reality of the world is thank you so much mansi i think uh, one point that you really raised which i think uh, i personally have been quite uh, i'm i'm guilty of is you know getting married to the idea having that form of uh, you know i mean detachment towards an idea i think is very important it helps you be very nimble very agile with the way in which you view ideas uh, and i think getting married to just one idea per se can you know lead you to a very myopic vision uh, and if in in case you want to pivot or in case you want to move on to something new it becomes quite difficult so yeah definitely definitely a very very golden nugget that uh, that you you touched on is the whole idea of uh, detachment and uh, uh, we we're going towards uh, uh, you know that was the end of the podcast and what we what we have uh, for every guest is we have a couple of questions that we we ask the 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 podcast guest and uh don't think these questions whatever comes to your mind first uh you you have to go and say it so uh 3 2 1 what what's your favorite uh podcast uh 99% invisible and your favorite book that was that's a top maybe one of my recent favorites uh is speculative design a uh, speculative everything sorry it's a, it's a book by anthony dunn and fiona davy Uh, that's a really really interesting book. And what's your favorite movie? That's a really tough one. Wreck-It Ralph. And your favorite song? My favorite song. Yeah, I I think it's probably um jazz piece called Good- Goodbye Pork Pie Hat by Charles Mingus. And what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Uh, right now the first thing I do is make my bed and clean my room so that I can start the day. uh but generally yeah, it's usually i wake up in the morning uh pretty early because i used to go to office pretty early uh but uh, right now yeah it's been household chores for the time being and, and what's the last the... thing you do before you go to bed i usually read something or uh, interesting or watch something uh interesting whether it's a show or an article or a book All right. Thank you so much Mansi. Is there anything you'd like to say to the audience uh, your last few words uh, maybe uh, where they can find you if they you know want to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean you can find us at Future Tense Inc INC uh on pretty much any of the platforms. You can hit me up on LinkedIn if you have questions and uh, the Future Tense website also has a link to our Facebook community so if you're interested in the stuff that we post there. uh you're more than welcome to join uh but yeah otherwise you know hit me up on linkedin or twitter anytime i'm, I'm happy to answer questions right. thank right. you so thank much you. mansi it's it's been an absolute pleasure